What's up, everybody? This is Eddie with Flex Machine Tools. Hey, and we are coming at you with this episode of Flex and Friends powered by UnionTradeGear.com. Hey, our video cast experience series where I get to sit down, chat with, and hang out with some of the industry's loudest, proudest, best, brightest, most passionate, and profound thought leaders. And we're going to be talking about everything you guessed it, manufacturing. So, hey, we've got a loud and proud voice in the manufacturing world and one of our good friends as our next guest. So without further ado, let's bring in a great friend of Flex, my man, Jeff Winter. Let's bring him on in. Jeff, it is official and it's about stinking time that we get you here on the Flex and Friends stage. First and foremost, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It is well with my soul, and I am ready to talk about you, manufacturing, and some of your crazy journeys and adventures that you've had along the way. So seriously, we're going to dive in head first, man. You're an interesting human being, and we need to find out how interesting by getting to know you personally and professionally. So with that being said, I'm passing the mic, dumping on us, man. Awesome. Well, like I said, my name is Jeff Winter, and at least professionally speaking, I am an industry executive for manufacturing with Microsoft. And what that basically means is it's my job to support the United States sales team to drive large um, digital transformation initiatives within the manufacturing industry. And one of the things that is part of my role for this is it requires me to be very credible and to be a thought leader in the industry, someone who's active within the industry and continually learning and contributing and networking. I happen to use LinkedIn as one of my main promotional platforms and networking platforms, and that's how we got to meet each other. Absolutely. And I'm super thankful for it. And though we see a lot of your professional content and your adventures, which which are really wonderful, and you and I both know we're about to dive deep into that world, I would love to get to know you a little bit more personally. And I'm sure everybody else watching would love to do the same. So when it comes to that, what, what, what can we know about Jeff on a personal level? Sure. Let's see. I am 39 years old. I live in Naperville, which is a suburb of Chicago. I've been married for almost seven years to my beautiful wife, Michelle, who's a obstetrician. I have two young kids with a third on the way. I graduated from Purdue with a degree in electrical engineering technology, but have never really been a practicing engineer. I've always been in sales, marketing, and a little bit of operations. Um, 16 years later, I decided to earn my MBA, which I'm doing right now from the University of Illinois and is both exciting and difficult. And I would have to say my personal biggest hobby is home automation. I love to tinker with new technologies and automate my home as much as possible, which is kind of related to my my real job. Totally, totally. And just because that fascinates me, we're not going to dive too deep in it. What is like the coolest thing that you have automated in your house? Because I'm, I'm seriously fascinated. <laughs> sure. So I have, I have um, 16 speakers throughout my house that I've connected to my home automation system, which I use control for as my platform. And I've connected to my security system that identifies when doors are opened or closed. One of my favorite things I did, it was actually out of necessity. Now it's just kind of fun is I have a timer set when any door in the house is opened. And if it's opened for more than two minutes, it sends an announcement through the 16 speakers and sends me a text message that that door is left open. And having a 
five and three year old kid, they leave doors open all the time. And I remember that, that my front door was left open for who knows hours before I realized it. And so I made these announcements go off uh, in the house to let us know that our doors are left open, which I would say happens about three times a week right now. Wow. A man on a mission with intention and execution. That is a, that's awesome. Kudos. Like I said, we don't have to dive too deep into that, but I just, I think that's absolutely fascinating, clearly a necessity, but also a little bit of fun. And so awesome. That's really cool just to learn those little things that give you that depth and that texture and that color, if you will. And so additionally, really well known in the manufacturing world, we, we've got a lot really to cover when it comes to you because there's just so much depth there. But I have to know. Let's start from the beginning, man. How did you get into manufacturing? What's that look like? I've actually been in manufacturing my entire adult career since college. So that's 17 years. And and I love it. I what's interesting is I never really sought out manufacturing. So my my engineering and technology-driven mindset uh, kind of combined with just being an inquisitive person. I always liked learning how stuff worked, how it was made, how it functioned. That was actually why I chose the degree I went into. And then when I found that there were jobs out there where I could play with cool new technology, cutting edge stuff, and help to improve how other things were made, seemed right up my alley. So right out of school, I actually didn't even apply for any engineering jobs. I Once I learned about sales engineering, that was the route I went. And I immediately started right out of school with a company called Keyence, which I think at the time did a fantastic job of exposing me to that world, teaching me what I needed to do, and introducing me to a world that I've kind of been in ever since, which is really manufacturing, kind of playing in the industrial automation technology side of it. Okay. Okay. So we're going to use one of my favorite buzzwords. So how synergistic, I know some people hate it, but how synergistic was, was all that, that, that crossover, how related was everything and, and really did it help bolster your experience? Like, what do you think, man? So it's a good question. If you looked at right out of school, um, I worked for Keyence and I've worked for several different industrial automation companies. I went from Keyence to Rockwell Automation to Festo to a company called STI, which just did uh, machine safeguarding that then was acquired by Omron. Then I worked for a systems integrator that just did industrial automation upgrades and now Microsoft. So a big span in terms of number of companies. And then if you look at the functions within that, it was sales, 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 then uh, discovered marketing, which we'll get into that in a second as to how I got into marketing. Then it went back to sales, then operations, then marketing and strategy, and then sales again. So I've kind of had a, a full gamut across that. And as I've gone through my journey of my career, I've learned the things that I'm both passionate about and the things that I'm skilled at to kind of, I'm going to call it fine tune the area of enjoyment and the area that I can contribute most to the company I work for and to the, the industry as a whole. So to answer your question, how synergistic has it been? It's been a journey for me to learn uh, these things about myself and where I can contribute the most. And I think I've kind of found a, a sweet spot right now, which is why I like my role in the and my company so much that kind of combines a lot of those elements together. Mm -hmm. 
It's so just interesting. And even though it's very sales dominant, I think it's that inquisitive mind that you have, that engineering background and that that heart, if you will, that really makes you a force to be reckoned with and a triple, quadruple, quintuple threat, if, if, if you will. And I, I would definitely put that feather in your cap because that's just had to be not only an amazing adventure, a super relevant adventure and quite the stair step, if you will. And so I know when we initially talked, we were talking about going from you went to automation to industry 4.0. And so I'm going to take a step back, pass the mic and be like, Hey man, what has that journey been like? Fill us in, man. So yes, most of my career has been in industrial automation. And I would describe that, you know, mainly where the, the PLC and the controls uh, layer kind of generally lives. It wasn't actually till I was at Grand Tech and I was starting to get involved with kind of our future looking business strategy, trying to answer what does our company do and what's our competitive advantage that we as a company decided we need to get a handle on industry 4.0 as, as an organization, we need to get a handle on it. And Jeff, can you lead those efforts? Can you help figure out defining what industry 4.0 means and what it means for our company and what should we be doing with it? That was actually my first real exposure to industry 4.0 was being tasked with doing it for the company. At that point, which was about almost four years ago, um, I didn't really know much about industry 4.0. I was much more focused on the automation and the machine safeguarding aspect of manufacturers. But once okay. I started to dive into industry 4.0 and learn what it is and being tasked with defining it for value for the company, I really started to, to fall in love with it. I, I really enjoyed it. And that's where I am completely full, you know, fully committed right now is to this idea of industry 4.0. One of the reasons why I like it so much is because that in the industrial automation, I'm going to call it layer or topic has been around for a very, very long time. And okay. is fairly well defined with best practices with, um, with kind of what people do, how people do it, even even definitions, everyone's kind of has the same, same understanding of, of what we're talking about. But as soon as you talk about industry 4.0, it's much more of an undefined vision that people are trying to strive to achieve, which means the way that people approach it is all unique. And even the outcome that people achieve at the end is unique to their particular business. And I thrive in those opportunities where things are kind of ambiguous or not fully defined. I like kind of drawing definition out of them. I like to simplify complex topics. I like to inspire people to do things that they never thought was possible. And right now and for the foreseeable future, this is that topic that allows me to do those things and harness my skill, my knowledge to be able to provide value to the company I work for, as well as the, the industry as a whole. And once I switched from Grand Tech to Microsoft, I got a much bigger stage to be a part of. I'm with a much bigger company that's far more uh, forward looking and a part of all the advancements in industry 4.0. And it was just a natural progression to kind of go to what I believe is the, the biggest and best company in that space in the world right now. No, that is solid. And what a great journey. And I just can't hit upon enough the absolute 
relevancy and just how everything is tied together, regardless of how one may describe the physical locations on a map, if you will, of the journey, but just where you've been and how you've been able to get there is nothing short of, of awesome. So what, what's a key thing or two that you've learned from that journey? Because that's a lot of information to cover, Jeff. It really is. And I can only imagine, you know, just all the information in your brain space. But what are, what's a key thing or two that you've really pulled from that journey? Sure. So <laughs> there's been quite a few things I learned and we should take a step back to go, how did I learn these things? So when I was tasked with making sense of industry 4.0, my natural way of doing it was to submerse myself in the industry. That meant joining all the associations out there that are doing stuff, joining the standards groups, networking, meeting the top influencers, the smartest people on the subject, and just completely submerse myself in there. So that's why I joined so many different associations. That's why I took on different positions. That's why I rolled up my sleeves and helped write articles and speak at events because it forces me to have to learn these, uh, these particular subjects so that I can understand them, wrap my head around them and provide value to them. So this took years to do. And now I'd say at the back end, I've come out significantly smarter, significantly more well-informed. And now to the point where I'm actually one of the, the influential people that's helping to shape the industry out there, which is exciting and part of what I enjoy out of this. So what I've learned uh, out of this entire journey, the first I kind of just alluded to, a lot of these things aren't well defined in the industry, and that can be both good and bad, depending on how you look at it. Industry sure. 4.0 as a concept was introduced about 10 years ago. And since then, the world has been trying to define it. Uh, different companies, even different countries have latched onto it and defined it their own way. And that can be good and it can be bad when you are trying to learn something in the industry. In fact, the ISO and IEC standards, the you know, two largest groups out there came together and they formed Joint Working Group 21 with the, the main purpose of attempting to define what this is. And they only just officially did it last year. So it took almost 10 years for the major worldwide you know, representative groups to get together and go, let's actually define what this, what this really is. So definition okay. is probably one of the biggest things I've learned is there's not much out there. And the stuff that is out there is just newly being created, which means that you need to define what Industry 4.0 means to you, whether it's as a person or as a company. Number two is I like to look at as digital transformation is the journey that gets you to Industry 4.0. That's how I like to describe it. Industry 4.0 is more the, the vision for what you can do, what's possible out there. And it, it's a combination and collection of all the technologies and the outcomes and the use cases of everything together to show you what life can look like with all this stuff coming together. Digital transformation is, is the journey to get there. And so the other thing I've learned, or one of the other things I've learned is that digital transformation is really, really hard. And a lot of people don't fully appreciate both how hard it is, how difficult it is, and how long it takes to do. There is a lot that companies need to learn to be successful at. There's a lot that they need to put together, everything from the technology, which is usually the central focus for a lot of people, to the cultural aspect, just getting people on board with doing this sort of change. It's one of the things that I always say a lot is most people don't really realize is that if your digital transformation is successful as an organization, and not just successful, but successful to best in class, nearly everyone's job in the company changes. 
And that's hard for people to grasp. So if you're not on board with that, if, you're, if your employees aren't on board with that appreciator understanding, it will probably never fully transform until you can get everyone behind this massive transformation that your company goes through. And then the, the last thing I probably learned is that switching from automation to a fully integrated, data-driven, agile way of operating requires an entirely different approach to everything you do, the way that you think. A lot of people that grew up in an automation world, which is where I'd say I grew up, it was more prescriptive and defined with set requirements and even down to things like conducting FATs and SATs that were checkbox-driven you know, events that you then completed and moved on to the next is not the way that digital transformation industry 4.0 work. Things are changing too fast and they need to take on more of a software development approach to be okay. successful. And that's a different mindset for the people that grew up in the industrial automation kind of realm is to think differently, to think more agile and to think more like software developers to be successful. Yeah, that's just, which is super intriguing nonetheless. And, and it's wonderful that you've pulled such high value. Now, I'm sure that that list is a mile long of all the things that you've learned and the things you've discovered about the industry, about just the terminology, as well as yourself. And so to that point, you we hear automation, we hear industry 4.0 a lot. So in, in your own words, why do those two areas matter more than ever moving forward? That's a good question. So automation has been around for a long time and it's essentially a, a, a drive to reduce human intervention in processes. If I were to summarize what automation is, that's what it is. And so automation can apply to you know, reducing the amount of time you're at a computer typing something in. So it could be more robotic process automation, or it could be more the physical automation of using robotics, for example, to replace human intervention when it comes to, to physical labor. So the idea of automation has been around for a while and people have been using that. I, I don't know that I would say that automation is at its, its you know, pinnacle or peak in terms of its its need right now because it's it's been around for so long. It will continue to rise in its importance, but I think it's going to more change as companies are digitally transforming and embracing Industry 4.0. That's the one that I think is going to be, it is, not going to be, it is taking over in terms of the way that you approach these things because most companies have a foundation of some level of automation. There's very okay. few entirely manual companies right now, either manual physically or manually, I'm going to call it digitally. There's very few that are you know, entirely manual. So they have some level of automation, but the transition from industry 3.0 or what I would generally describe as automation, which has been out for years and years and years to industry 4.0 is data, is how you harness uh, the power of the data that you can and should be collecting and using that to make better insights in how you operate your company. And that is a bigger shift in the approach that people take and is a, a huge deal right now. And it's one that because of the speed at which this stuff is happening, being adopted and changing, um, you need to you need to address it faster so that you don't fall behind. Automation had a generally has a slower 
time in terms of the need that you have to do it before you fall behind. Because for you to, for example, let's say you were making 10 parts a minute and you automated it to make 20 parts a minute. That impact is not as big as, for example, you acquiring different data about how you're making this stuff to decide that you need to make an entirely different part to have a competitive advantage or to access a new market. That is a bigger impact to a company than just, uh, you know, an improvement in, you know, some of the existing stuff they're doing by reducing the human intervention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Man, just great analysis of that. And as we continue the conversation, one thing I think that you would also help us really identify with your specific lenses, some of the biggest gaps, um, you, you know, people like to ignore this. A lot of the individuals, you know, don't want to talk about some of these gaps, but I think it's important that in platforms like this and with people like yourself, we do talk about these gaps. So in your unbiased or biased opinion, man, where do those gaps exist? Let's dive in. Probably the three biggest gaps that I see out there is the no particular order, but the, the first is a talent gap. And I'll, I'll describe that one a little bit more, but I'm just going to broadly describe it as a talent gap. The second is getting data that your company can trust. So data trustworthiness is what I would describe that one. And third is visibility. Visibility in general to what's happening in your company, but most specifically right now, operations and supply chain. Those are probably the three biggest gaps that, that I'm seeing right now. Okay. Okay. And then if you want to pick one specifically or just maybe covering all three in a sense, I'm kind of curious, like what caused these things? Because gaps just don't magically happen, if you will. There's some type of cause and effect there. And can you simply diagnose anyone specifically in your opinion? <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to answer for all three as best I can. So the, the <laughs> talent gap is probably the most difficult one to kind of answer how we got to where we are. And I can just share my opinion on it. And th there's want. a variety of reasons why this happened. I would say one of them is just kind of more of a long-standing thing of how the sentiment has changed over the past 30 years about manufacturing. And that is more of just kind of a, you know, a, a societal view on manufacturing. And that changes what people apply for what positions is they choosing their everything from their degree that they go to get to the company that they choose to work for. And, and some of that's just a sentiment change. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but the change has kind of been occurring slowly over time as a part of that. Number two is actually, I'm going to say related to that is what is actually taught or what is pushed in our schools. And if you look at kind of what's been you know, happening over the past 20 years, it's kind of shifted away from some of the things that would lead more directly to manufacturing to other, other things as the tech industry generally has taken over there. Now, what I personally seen as, as part of my investment is I'm now getting involved more with schools that are realizing that even the concepts of smart manufacturing are becoming hugely important. And even, even the school I went to, Purdue, I'm now part of their industrial advisory board and their smart manufacturing initiative because mm -hmm. they're putting a huge investment in both developing a curriculum and recruiting people for that particular degree because they're seeing the interest from the world, the, especially the manufacturing industry, to go, right. we need these people. We absolutely need them. So let's get ahead of this to excite students in high school uh, to want to pursue these sort of degrees. And the last thing, and this is much more recent, I would say, is the, the changing job needs. So the, the first two more related to just the, uh, the pool size. And the last one is the skills within the pool. 
Um, and if you look at even just within the past five years, the types of jobs that are needed have dramatically changed. Things like uh, data scientists, AI, ML experts, big data experts. These are skills that if you were to bring up five, 10 years ago, people probably wouldn't even known what they were or ever thought of them. And now, according to World Economic Forum, those are the three most sought after jobs that are out there. And this wow. applies to manufacturing as well. So now, not only do you have an increased need in people in general, the, the jobs are actually shifting as to what people are looking. So this requires companies to train, retrain their existing employees and retain them to keep the, the pool where they need the talent to, to close that talent gap is what I would say. And then from the second one I mentioned, which was data, the data isn't trusted. This really happens because over time, companies have developed too many silos within their organization that have independent systems because back when people started to buy these systems, they were kind of self-contained in, in their little function of the company. But now, today, in 2022... You really can't buy much software anymore that isn't connected to the internet or isn't designed to be integrated to other systems. So you need to get all your systems connected together to have a single record of truth. And historically, all those individual systems had their own record of truth that made it very difficult to connect it together. You end up getting a complete mess. And last, the, the visibility into operations and supply chain. I wouldn't say this is something where things went wrong over time. It's just because of what Industry 4.0 technologies are offering people now, okay. you really should have much better visibility into your operations. This is more a take advantage of what's there for a better future rather than a, oh, over the past 20 years, you, you fell behind. Mm -hmm. Jeff, you not only give us the problems, but you're an absolute sweetheart because you provided us solutions. Look at you go. Heart of gold over here. Heart of gold. And so just to continue the trend, y'all, we don't want to poke at the industry too much. But again, it's very important to have individuals like yourself speak about what's happening. And again, you're an absolute sweetheart for giving us those solutions. But as we give a little bit of candy here for the rest of the conversation, what are some amazing things? We just got done covering some of the things, maybe just the gaps. What are some really cool things or a genuine and cool thing that you're seeing happen in the industry right now? So I'm not going to give as many specific examples here because what I'm generally seeing, and this is part of what I was seeing before I joined Microsoft, and then since I've joined Microsoft, I've just seen it at a bigger, uh, more powerful levels, I guess I'd say. And I would say it's, it's every individual, and that rolls up then through the companies, their, their ingenuity and their innovation taking over to use the technologies that Industry 4.0 is kind of bringing to the market. Because a lot of these technologies, if you look at most of them, they are enabling technologies. IoT is an example. AI is the biggest one out there that it's really an enabling technology. And so how individuals are able to use creativity to find ways to apply AI or IoT to their organization is one of the things that I find to be the most amazing. They're, these are less uh, about you know software packages or platforms that you just directly buy and apply to solve a very specific problem. Some of those out there are existing, but the, the fact that these technologies are more fundamental, that they can change the way that you think. They can allow you as an organization to, to kind of do it yourself and use these technologies to solve new problems that you didn't even 
uh, think were possible or gain new insights that you didn't even know existed. So what I'm most fascinated and amazed by is taking something as simple as like basic ML engines as part of your AI strategy and seeing what people are able to come up with in the data that they're able to analyze and the decisions that they're able to make based off of those those capabilities. That's probably one of the, the biggest things that that I see. As a, as a specific example, I like um, using one of the newer ones for me was more cognitive AI functions where you're actually using it to, to take advantage of stuff that's been traditionally static and analog. So I'm going to say in paper form in organizations, things like you collecting thousands and thousands and thousands of documents. They could be CAD drawings. They could be presentations that you've given. They can be handwritten notes and then running them through cognitive AI engines to completely catalog them, look for correlations and connections and make make it so your whole company's history and knowledge is easily searchable so that you can go just type something in and just it will immediately pull up the stuff that exists and make references to other stuff you should be aware of or go look for is one of the most, I'm going to say powerful things that I more recently learned about that I just thought just everyone should be doing this because everyone has collections of stuff that just reside on people's computers or or even worse in a filing cabinet and they're not taking advantage of that which means that knowledge that's being generated just kind of gets lost over time it also helps with the talent gap to be able to take advantage of that to train new people so it's more of a, a broad answer but mm-hmm. i like seeing the investments that people are making to uh experiment and try these new technologies that's at an all-time high is the amount of um like uh, yeah like i said the the experimentation adoption of these technologies to try and gain insights and solve new problems mm-hmm. gaining insights solving new problems with data and transparency i love it no it, it absolutely makes sense um, it, 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 on multiple levels and and one thing that that we can't leave this conversation without talking about is your specific level of, of your, your branding and kind of what you're doing really shining your light turning your volume up to 11 um really working these platforms and doing a great job of helping tell your story as well as just being an influential human being within the industry so i would love to know kind of what you've been doing and giving us kind of a real world scope look at on the insides of you know what are your goals what have you been doing and maybe if you're nice and you're still in a good mood some good tips that we could all take advantage of ourselves sure so yes i've been focusing primarily on the past uh year and a half now starting actually it was in february 2021 on my branding and my social media influence now i've been focusing on thought leadership for many many years and thought leadership is more defined i have it is do you have the right credentials to give yourself credibility are you earning awards and peer recognition as being good at what you do do you have the right network of people uh, out there the smartest people on the subjects and are you an ambassador are you actually rolling up your sleeves and contributing to the industry and are you influential in terms of putting your opinion out there speaking and writing that stuff I've been doing for for years, and that stuff I, I encourage if you are trying to be someone in the industry as known as their subjects, focus on the thought leadership first, and then you could use social media as your platform to promote it and to kind of solidify your brand, kind of wrap it all together so everyone is on the same page with it. So your brand should really answer a couple questions. You should be answering what topic or topics do you want to be known for? What skill or skills do you want to be known for good at doing? 
And third is what personality type do you want? So in that case for me, it's fun and approachable. And all those together help shape what you either post about, what you speak about, what you write about, so that you have a consistent brand in what you're doing. Now, LinkedIn is the platform I chose to use for my brand advocacy and my social networking, primarily because of the impact that COVID had on the way that people learn and the way that people network. LinkedIn took took over in that realm because some of these are backed by statistics, some of them are just my personal thoughts. But since the pandemic, people were still looking to network and were still looking to learn, even though all you know in-person events were canceled for at least over a year. Yeah. And some of them were so, slowly starting to work their way back. So mm-hmm. where did they all go? They went to LinkedIn primarily for two reasons. LinkedIn is the best uh, platform professionally to network with people. And it's one of the best ones to gain um, good amounts of learning, not just even little snippets. But if you want to, you know, gain hour long videos or attend webinars, it's one of the best, best platforms to have some of the, the bigger stuff that's occurring out there. So um, if you look at that and then you couple it by the fact that most people just generally felt more comfortable playing on LinkedIn during the day than let's say playing on Instagram or Facebook, it caused more people to go to it during the day because it is a more professional network. So when you put all those together, simply put, just more people went to LinkedIn. <laughs> and so the the platform just took off tremendously in the past couple of years. So that was my my choice for why I picked that particular platform. And then I made it a goal to be very consistent in how I networked with people that were like-minded and had the same kind of ambitions as I did, or would be people that I can learn from. And I decided to make posts on the subjects uh, that I was either knowledgeable on or surprising that most people don't realize that I'm trying to learn. Because if I force myself to make a post on a subject that I don't know, I have to go do a little bit of research and put together information on it. And the main reason why I do those posts is to share my knowledge with the world, but also use to learn from people. So that's why I like when people comment on my posts and I comment back on everyone because I get to learn from people just as much through the comments as I do the actual post itself or putting the post together. So when you put that all together, it kind of caused me to, I'm going to say, take off and get well known in the industry for both the stuff that I produce and the way that I engage with people. So I really have enjoyed what I've been doing and will keep it up with the goal of kind of trying to aspire to be one of the top industry 4.0, you know, people out there, thought leaders out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and it's and it's great uh, because I, I don't think I think I would say there are very few, if anyone, that questions your passion and your expertise in your specific world because your experience and where you are truly speak to that. And if if there were any doubters by any means, I would challenge them. Hey, watch this episode; you will know everything you need to know. And he's been so nice; we'll give you a little bit more. So this is great. As we wrap up this episode today, I'm super super thankful for your time. But myself. And others, we need to know where can we keep up with all the fun, exciting awesomeness that you're going to be distributing to the masses, man. Where can we get more info and stay in touch? Well, if it wasn't obvious, uh, following me on LinkedIn is the best way. It's where I share my content that I'm creating, but I also keep people aware of 
uh, all the industry involvement I have. So that could be anything from places that I'm speaking, things that I'm writing, or just positions that I'm a part of and looking for other people to contribute. I make posts frequently about asking for volunteers to get involved in contributing. And the best way is I would just say to, to follow me on LinkedIn. You'll kind of get the the daily pulse of what's happening both in my world and the world of Industry 4.0 and digital transformation. There we go. For the latest and the greatest in automation industry 4.0, you already know my man Jeff Winter is on top. So Jeff, hey, we thank you so much for joining us from today's episode, for giving us your time, your passion, your expertise, and just continuing to shine your light and turn that volume up to 11. So thank you so much. And we thank all of you viewers for checking out this episode of Flex and Friends powered by UnionTradeGear.com, the official apparel partner of Flex Machine Tools. So hey, for now, you all stay awesome. You stay flexing. And we will surely see you next time.